Imagine learning in a small group intimate setting while exploring unique European locations. EU Vet CE Experiences offers race-approved CE seminars that combine half-day lectures with time to relax and discover captivating cultures. The CE sessions are delivered in English, allowing you to elevate your career while vacationing with loved ones. Experience the perfect blend of learning and luxury at EU Vet CE Experiences interactive seminars in hand-picked European destinations. Elevate your knowledge and recharge simultaneously. Visit euveterinaryce.com to learn more. Right. So September 1st, they're going to turn the interest switch back on. And I have a feeling that not a lot of our colleagues are very, very ready for that, particularly the student. Welcome to Vet Life Reimagined. This episode is very timely and important. For over three years, federal student loan borrowers have not had to make payments. That's about to change. Payments are to resume in October. Although payments aren't due until October, interest will start occurring at the start of September. If this doesn't impact you, this episode is still important. This is a veterinary profession issue. You probably work closely with someone it does impact. Plus, the guest today who is going to shed some light on debt and student loan repayment has a fascinating career journey and perspective on veterinary medicine. Dr. Tony Bartels graduated vet school from Colorado State in a dual MBA DVM program. He and his wife, a small animal internal medicine specialist, had more than $400,000 in student debt that they managed using federal income-driven repayment plans. This encouraged Tony to research into the situation that impacts the majority of those in the veterinary professional programs. It also led him down a, a unique career path with the Veterinary Information Network, or VIN. He now frequently speaks on veterinary student debt, provides guidance to colleagues on loan repayment strategies, and has helped create a new VIN Foundation Student Debt Center. Links to the resources will be in the description. And now onto the conversation with Dr. Tony Bartels. When did you know you wanted to get into veterinary medicine? Ooh, I, you know, it was kind of by happenstance. I was living in Chicago at the time and I was working for Ernst & Young and, and doing corporate finance. So mostly mergers and acquisitions and some bankruptcy and restructuring work, which is probably going to make everybody's eyes roll in the back of their head, you know, who's a veterinarian. But so uh, nothing that involved animals, but I volunteered at the Shedd Aquarium. And mostly because if you volunteered there long enough, they would select people from the volunteer pool to clean the tanks that the dolphins swam in. So it was kind of a goal to volunteer there long enough so I can get on the list that would be eligible for cleaning the dolphin tanks. And I happened to be part of the water quality team. My undergrad degree was actually in chemical engineering. So I had that, you know, kind of skill set. And that happened to be on the same floor where the veterinary services team worked. And there was one day that I, I was happened to be there that a veterinarian said, hey, I need some help uh, ultrasounding a pregnant dolphin. Would you mind helping? And I was like, of course. Right. So and just kind of got introduced to that veterinary medicine that way and just kind of you know, fell in love with the fact that there were people doing that. And 
like, oh, I need to look into this further. And so I, I it kind of embarked on a whole career change and ended up volunteering and working for the Humane Society in Chicago and um, decided that I wanted to apply to Colorado State as my first choice. And after doing a little bit of the research, I learned that my best chance and least costly option would be to move and establish residency there. So I got another job with a nonprofit here in Denver, where I live now, acquiring the veterinary experience I needed to apply and uh, applied to their combined MBA DVM program with my background in corporate finance. And, and I was able to get in that that first time I applied. Yes. So anytime I hear that someone has done like one of the combo PhD or MBAs, yeah. I'm like, what are you thinking? No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what yeah. was that like? You know, and, and now, of course, looking back, I'm like, wow, I bet that would have been really useful. But what was that like going through vet school, you know, also getting your MBA? Uh, it was it was uh, nuts. I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> so uh, it was just intense. So the way it was structured, the first year was actually not so bad. You kind of start out doing the MB, mostly MBA stuff, and they they let us start with the veterinary class to do a few classes to get those out of the way uh, to make room for when we started full time with the veterinary program. But the second year of veterinary school and what ended up being the third year of completing the MBA was just completely insane. So uh, the number of classes and credit hours and tests and projects was 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 too much. <laughs> so that's why, I mean, you, you really, you know, looking back at it now, it's like, I have no idea how that even, how that even worked out. So, uh, but it, it is definitely uh, very difficult because as, as you know, and all of our colleagues know, I mean, the veterinary curriculum by itself is, is enough to drive anybody crazy. So adding anything else on top of that, let alone something that's not, it's completely unrelated to try to study and make sense of at the same time. It, it was, it was nerve wracking for sure. It tested the, the stress level. <laughs> so you you know you mentioned okay so you're doing an MBA at the same time you kind of fell in love with veterinary medicine watching veterinarians at the shed aquarium when when you're going into vet school what did you kind of imagine you might do afterwards and did that change at all oh completely yeah because I was really <laughs> trying to figure out a way to end up back at something like the shed aquarium but you you learn quickly too practically that's not only extremely difficult, but not a hot, very, you know, not one of the more lucrative areas of, of veterinary medicine, right? So, and at some point, you know, being a career changer, uh, you know, you get sick of being broke. So uh, <laughs> it was hard to envision, you know, internship, residency, especially in something like exotic or marine medicine and, and you know, the pays that kind of go along with that. At some point, it, you know, I think a reality switch came on. It was like, okay, well, some of my experience too with small animal medicine, and, and maybe I can use that and, and see exotics and things on the side, but still be able to to make a decent living, especially given the, the student debt that I was also racking up, even as a resident of, of Colorado State. I tried to keep that as under control as possible. And, and from the time I started until the time I finished veterinary school, my tuition went up more than 35%. So there was just financial realities that kind of happened along the way that that shape and shift that those career goals and aspirations as well. Yeah. And did you meet your wife during vet school as well? I did. Yeah. So that was another one of those kind of reality <laughs> checks too, right? And she she was already on a path to do internship residency and she's a, a, a boarded uh, small animal internist and um, she was ahead of me, right? So she she kind of was 
first to the the starting gate in the advanced training, right? So, you know, supporting her, making sure that, you know, we could be together was also was also a goal. So, you know, in order to help her get to where she was or is now career-wise, you know, we kind of had to follow that pathway through as well. Yeah. And, you know, you're a very unique veterinarian going through vet school because of your your financial and, and business background. So were you already starting to prepare or take into consideration the the financial load that was starting to mount <laughs> as you went through? Yeah, for sure. And I paid close attention to that as I was as I was going through it, just because I had a kind of an interest in the financial aspect of it anyway. But then also watching my wife, you know, she was a non-resident at CSU. So she already had a little bit more student debt than I was planning to have. And then watching how that kind of plays out during an internship and then fellowship and then residency. It was like, oh, wow, this is, this is, the numbers don't work very well here, right? So it, it's very challenging to figure out not only academically how you're going to get through those particular programs, but financially, how do you, how do you make this work when you've got 200,000 plus dollars of student debt and you're getting paid at the time, $28,000 a year as an intern like this, you know, that's not compatible, right? Financially. So, you know, it just kind of gets those wheels turning like, well, what's going on here? And is there a better way to do this or, or a way that makes this a little bit more tenable? And, and I'm hoping you found something. <laughs> <laughs> well, somewhat, right? It, you know, it depends. I, there are definitely solutions out there that we've learned a lot more since then. But around the same time, that's, as a student, I was involved in SAPMA, and I was a SAPMA delegate for my for my class, and and that's where I, I attended a lot of the national meetings and a lot of the conversations that were going on around that time, particularly around internships and student debt. And that's when I met Paul Pyon, the co-founder and CEO of, of VIN, and and he was getting a lot of questions from uh, colleagues on VIN about how, how do we make these numbers work, and you know, that's we kind of put our heads together and and he was trying to figure out how to best to answer those questions for our colleagues on VIN in the in the veterinary community there. And, you know, I it, we're using kind of my circumstances and my wife's circumstances to really build a lot of the tools and the knowledge that that we've acquired over the last decade, kind of studying this issue and, and helping our colleagues figure those out, figure that answer out to those questions. You know, how do I make the numbers work? Yeah. And I think you said you're you're about 11 years with Ben. So you've been working on this for a really long time. Yeah, very. And, yeah. And I can only imagine I, we're about to I'm sure we'll talk about some of the changes that have occurred over the years. And I'm sure the pandemic also had a bunch, but you're very involved with, with the student AVMA. You're going to see that part of things, you know, going through uh, this personally. From a career perspective, do you, I mean, what did you, did you think you would still practice clinically or what were your, what were your thoughts? Yeah, I, I did. And I, I was for a little while, I was, I was, I was doing both, right? So I was trying, I was doing small animal exotic practice my, while my wife was doing a residency at, at TSU. And I was also kind of working with Vin and, 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 you know, so the student debt stuff was just kind of, just kind of unfolding in terms of how I think about it now. And, it was hard to do either very well, right? So something something had to give, and uh, I just felt like I, you know, I could do better given my background and, and my knowledge in, in finance to help our colleagues with the student debt 
questions and education and issues that we're facing the profession than I could just being, you know, just another practitioner. So that was at the time anyway, it, it seemed like it made sense. And, and even it, during that time, it was kind of hard now to look back at it. But when I graduated veterinary school, it was, it was difficult for veterinarians to, to find a job right? Which is completely 180 from what we're seeing, <laughs> what we're seeing now, right? So it, it, in that regard, it kind of made more sense to, you know, point my skill set um, elsewhere rather than rather than um, in clinical medicine. Yeah, that, that's a unique perspective because I think you, did you leave vet school 2012? 2012, yeah. Yep. I was only a couple years behind you. So I I was probably similar. I, I went into that internship and residency. So yeah. <laughs> so just let let's go kind of go through that because I'm really interested to hear the changes from going from and I don't think we're that old. So <laughs> going from a time when it was actually hard to get a job, where we didn't really have a lot of resources, and you know you talked about that veterinarians seem to struggle in this area. I think it's one is you know we went into a career that's quite different. So it's not like exactly our, our forte, but I think it's terrifying. And I think this is just like a, a human part of things is that money mindset. And uh, I, I went and was listening to some other uh, financial podcast episodes when it came to the, the veterinary industry and the, what they were talking about is I think a lot of people just, they don't want to think about it. You know, it's like, I, I want to be a vet. I know there's this, thing over here, but I really just don't want to, to think about it or worry about it. And while I I can totally relate, (laughs) you know, that doesn't exactly help us either. So really understanding what options are and and how we can best take care of, you know, ourselves financially is going to help, I think, in everything. So what has the, the progression been or the changes that you've seen from, you know, from our time graduating and until now? Oh, well, I mean, certainly just from a employment standpoint, though, back, I mean, back when I graduated, kind of around the time you graduated, so many of our colleagues were heading into internships, whether that those were going to matriculate onto a residency, you know, it was yet to be determined, but there nearly, there aren't nearly enough residencies to accommodate all the folks that do internships. But what we've learned since then is that, generally speaking, as it's harder to find a job out of school, more people flock into internships. Right. So that's kind of what we were seeing around the time when I was graduating. We were even talking about, you know, is veterinary medicine ready to be like human medicine, right? Where nearly everybody goes after med school onto some kind of advanced training. And, you know, clearly, you know, veterinary medicine really isn't set up to do that. And we've seen those numbers come down significantly, but mostly because the economic circumstances for new grads improved greatly, right? So we see a lot of overlap between number and quality of job offers, the higher those are, the fewer people go on to do internships, right? So it kind of makes sense now looking back, but at the time, you know, we really didn't know that until the AVMA and the economic team started really studying that that issue and looking at the data. So, you know, good news is salary, starting salaries for new grads have, have never been higher. We're seeing signing bonuses for the last several years for, for veterinarians, which again is a very new phenomenon, all great stuff financially. However, student debt is also a huge issue, right? It's still very expensive to go to to veterinary school and for some people more expensive than others because it really depends on which school you choose and then how much your particular seat costs in terms of what 
student debt balance you ultimately finish your veterinary education with, right? So we still see challenges for new graduates and, and not so new graduates trying to figure out the best way to handle their student debt just by virtue of the magnitude of, of the debt numbers that are floating around out there. We would like to thank our sponsor, VetBadger, the all-in-one practice management software that puts relationships first. Created by working veterinary parents, VetBadger provides all the communication, team workflow, and medical management tools you need to run an efficient practice and get home to the relationships that matter most. In support of parents in VetMed, VetBadger will be offering a signed copy of the book, Pregnancy and Postpartum Considerations for the Veterinary Team by Emily Singler to everyone who registers for a demo between Mother's Day, May 12th, and Father's Day, June 16th. To register, visit VetBadger.com and find the link in the description below. Yeah, I think the AVMA had a, when I was trying to find out the, like the average, I think, is it 180 something is kind of like the average? Yeah. So in the ad, this is a, it's a great question. And it's a, I'm glad you brought it up because it's kind of one of those, uh, let's call it a trigger word for me. Oh. <laughs> the, the average, the average number, unfortunately, is so non-representative of what is actually happening, right? Because we take mm-hmm. everybody that graduates from veterinary school and throw them all into the same bucket and then pull out, you know, the quote average from that and say, here's here's the magnitude of that particular issue. And, you know, you can't really compare people who graduate from a school like, let's say UC Davis or Texas A&M, where nearly everyone is graduating with a relatively low student debt balance, and then put them in the same bucket as people who are graduating from Midwestern or Penn and, and say, you know, those are similar. Those people are facing similar issues, right? It's completely different in terms of the financial ramifications, depending on the school that you graduate from the amount of debt that you have right now there is there's no data that shows that you're going to earn any more or less because of the school you graduate from but the primary determinant of how much student debt balance you have to manage it depends primarily on the school that you choose right so um you know those folks that finish with a non-resident or private school tuition balance even if they got a signing bonus in the highest possible starting salary they can find have a much higher starting student debt to income ratio than somebody that you know finished with a much lower amount of student debt and maybe didn't get a signing bonus or is starting at something at a lower end of the salary spectrum so yes i mean the average is kind of a it's a it's a g whiz number and something we can use to kind of track over time but in terms of measuring the stress and the financial implications and what it means for creating a student loan repayment strategy I don't find it has much utility at all because that average person really doesn't exist, right? You're kind of at that lower end or at the higher end. But when you put them all in the same bucket and average them, it comes up with this weird middle number that is really not terribly attainable for anyone. Mm. So it sounds like you're seeing more of a a pretty big range and more towards the ends than really that average, which is interesting because... You know, I I don't know if I would say someone should or should not go to vet school based off of debt. I think it's just educate yourself about exactly. options yeah. and then, you know, go 
about your dream. But, you know, the other thing you you were talking about sign-on bonuses, and I will say it felt like around, around the pandemic time, there was like this boom of trying to attract veterinarians and maybe I'm getting my dates wrong because COVID years, you know, it's just everything's <laughs> yeah. blurred, but these like huge sign-on bonuses or like I, I saw people offering to repay loans. But so <laughs> to me, there were like these really shiny objects kind of offers that made me a little nervous for veterinarians that were looking for employment. So I'm curious to get your thoughts on these shiny perks that people may throw when it comes to trying to recruit veterinarians and kind of same thing about, I don't really think that debt should deter somebody from going into veterinary medicine, but at the same time, I don't know if all the shiny bells and whistles are necessarily the right decision for picking a practice because back to that individual situation, what's important to you when it comes to finding a job that fits your life? So you were talking about you have fallen in love with with Colorado and you don't want to move. So (laughs) even though somebody, you know, in Alabama is like offering the biggest bonus, it doesn't mean like that's really worth it for you. So what are your thoughts when it comes to all of that? Well, I think you kind of put your finger right on the problem there, right? I mean, that you know, people's reasons for doing things are are numerous and and sometimes non-negotiable, right? But so from an employer standpoint, you're trying to attract as many people as possible. And sometimes you have to put out some really eye-catching offers and citing bonuses or whatever, you know, student loan repayment offers in order to attract that attention and maybe move somebody off of that position where I can't see myself living anywhere but where I am now, you know, at some point, maybe there's something that they put out there that makes that person move off of that position that they were otherwise holding pretty strongly initially, right? And that kind of gets to, you know, depending on where you are, how busy it is, how much uh, need you have, the service, the demand that you have for veterinary services right now. The people that are experiencing high demand are desperately in need of people, are upping those offers, increasing salaries, offering better benefits, student loan repayment type benefits, all of those sorts of things just to try to attract more people and boost their staff. But there could also be, you know, that also could be kind of the flip side of that. There could be an underlying issue maybe there too, or maybe that's an, you know, not terribly efficient practice or a practice that's experiencing a lot of turnover, right? So there's a reason why you might have to continue, continually offer more or looking for people consistently because you it's a revolving door, right? So that's kind of one of those maybe alarm bells that might go off for a, particularly a new grad looking at a practice, you know, how often are people coming and going from that practice? Is this, is there a reason why people tend to move away from this particular place and they're always looking for someone, right? So it's in everything in between. So it's, it's really difficult to put your finger on those exact reasons or those at a given place or, or a reason why a person might not respond to a particular offer. But they're trying, right? There's a lot of <laughs> there's a lot of effort that's going into recruiting and reducing turnover, and you know, student debt kind of gets thrown in there because we know that it's a a particularly high stressor for for most veterinarians. So if they see that, it catches their eye, and they're like, oh, well, maybe that'll help alleviate some of that stress for 
for me financially, right? So that's, I mean, that's how I see those. Now, how they play out, it really depends on that student debt to income ratio, the student debt balance that particular person is, is carrying and how meaningful are those student, are those employer repayment offers to cover student debt. All of that makes a huge difference, right? So some of the smaller amounts that we started with, you know, the most common is, you know, around $150 a month that a particular employer offers somebody to cover towards their student loans. Unfortunately, that's kind of like a band-aid on a broken leg, right? That's that's really not going to help with the veterinary education size student debt balances that we typically see. Now, I've seen someone that get, you know, they're 10 times higher than that, right? They're in the thousands of dollars a month. Now we're starting, that would get into some amounts that could appreciably put a dent in somebody's uh, student debt balance from, from veterinary school. You know, one of the things that is coming up is there's there's been a lot of different changes when it comes to student loans on the government level. And whether, you know, again, COVID has brought in a bunch of different things on, excuse me for my, my poor language around this, but there was like some pause where you didn't have to contribute to your loan. And then the Biden has been talking about other things. So do you mind kind of updating us on where are we with with loans, the repayments, the holds, whatnot? Who and who does this apply to? Sure. So we have uh, since March 13th of 2020, uh, they turned off interest and payments for anybody with federally held student loans. And that's the majority of, of veterinarians and veterinary students have federally held student loans. And, and that's been a huge relief, right? So, and, and some of the average debt numbers that we've seen coming back to that issue, right? It, it, a lot of that has been reflective of the fact that interest has been turned off for more than three years, right? Student loan interest can add significantly to the cost of education when we're borrowing dollars $100,000, $400,000 to, to finish veterinary school, right? So those folks that are graduating now and, and you know graduating next year, graduating the year before that, um, have significantly benefited from that, that pandemic forbearance benefit that has been in place for more than three years. But that party's over, right? So September 1st is just a couple of weeks from now, they're going to turn the interest switch back on. And I have a feeling that not a lot of our colleagues are very, very ready for that, particularly the students, right? The students have gotten so used to interest being off or not even realizing that interest normally accrues on graduate school loans for the duration of that program, that it's it's going to be a little bit of a shock when it gets turned back on because the interest rates that are underlying this pause, at least for the coming academic year, have, have never been higher, right? So we're, we're coming back into a, a period where interest is going to be turned back on, the interest rates have never been higher, and the cost of veterinary school has never been higher either, right? So you got kind of a perfect storm brewing there for anybody who's maybe starting veterinary school particularly this fall, you know, their interest is going to be back and it's going to be back with a vengeance, right? It's going to, it's going to add significantly to that, that total projected cost, which is going to make being cognizant of how much you're borrowing for school extremely important, right? So, uh, I mean, it's always important to consider that as a factor, but now again, it's, you know, we've gotten kind of a reprieve from that for a number of years and, and now it's going to have to be at the forefront of our, our thinking a lot more 
than it was. When you say ours, do you mean like the veterinary industry as a whole as we support all of the the new grads coming or the new vets coming in? And yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, that was one of the other things that has been kind of a, a weird narrative to see recently because I you know we've always looked at student debt in, in you know at least in my opinion the way that I've watched it play out the last decade or so as kind of a, a black eye right for the profession like you know we've got to be able to do this in a better way or why you know why does it seem like we we can't figure out how you know to get people educated to get this career goal this lifelong goal of becoming a veterinarian without this ugly side effect of student debt and i feel like we've always kind of looked at it as like this you know embarrassing part of veterinary medicine and we've been super excited particularly the last couple of years with the increase in salaries and the signing bonuses and the quote average kind of leveling off or even going down to say look maybe this we figured this out right and unfortunately a lot of it was just because we turned the interest rates off right so, and some of it was blunted by the fact that the salaries are definitely higher than they've ever been. But you know, you turn that you turn that interest switch back on, and you put it back into a situation now where we've got again higher price seats than we've ever had before, and you've got a situation that's ripe for, you know, people two, three, four years from now to have some pretty staggeringly high student debt balances. So we'll we'll have to see if if those salaries could keep outpacing that. You know, history has shown that that's probably not going to be the case. Then we're going to kind of be right back where we were, you know, four or five years ago when we were looking at the student debt to income ratios and, and saying, "Geez, we've got to be able to we've got to be able to do better than this." I think you make a good point that the student debt has been seen as something that's embarrassing about the profession, and it definitely doesn't help this. <laughs> I feel like there's a little bit of a dark cloud, you know, when yeah, we right. talk about this. So how can we do better? Uh, can you kind of enlighten us and give us some ideas on, on how we might be able to improve this kind of heaviness <laughs> around right. this? So one of the, so one of the things that, that we've been involved with through Vin Foundation is an initiative we call Apply Smarter. Right. And that kind of gets back to what you were saying earlier. Right. We You don't want to discourage anybody from becoming a veterinarian just because of student debt, right? But we want you to go in with your eyes wide open, informed consent, right? Informed decision. And and you can certainly choose schools that are more expensive than others, right? And if finance or student debt is something that you know is going to be particularly stressful for you, then don't apply to a school that can have you graduating with a really high number of student debt. Now, unfortunately, that's, that's the majority of the seat right now. So you have to be very careful. And that's where it comes. I mean, every every veterinary student goes through somebody's veterinary practice, right? To get that experience that they can put on their veterinary school application, right? This is why it's a profession-wide effort. So the veterinarians need to know, hey, if you want to apply to veterinary school and you want me to write a letter of recommendation, let's sit down and talk about those schools that you're going to apply to. You have to use student loans. If you do, then maybe you want to choose these sets of schools that we know you're more likely than not to graduate with a lower amount of student debt than a higher amount of student debt, right? Because that's going to make it much easier for you to manage your finances after veterinary school. It's always easier to manage less than it is to manage more, no matter 
you know, where your career takes you. So, you know, just trying to have those conversations with, you know, aspiring veterinary students sooner rather than later and trying to, you know, put them into the least expensive seat uh, as possible. Then we also have to figure out some way of, of, of getting back to some situation where there are more less expensive seats available. Now that's going to be a very difficult goal to achieve. But in the short term, we can at least try to point people to those less expensive seats, particularly the people that have to use student loans to get through veterinary school. Now, I know we are not officially giving any financial advice. I think I have to put in that disclaimer somewhere. (laughs) Uh, But what are some of the most common questions that you get these days about loans that we might be able to help people here on the podcast? Yeah. So most of them is just understanding uh, the options and particularly which repayment plan is quote best, right? So, uh, and that's a really, it depends kind of question, right? It depends on the types of loans you have, when you started borrowing, which repayment options you're eligible for, uh, and then also your comfort level with the different repayment strategies, right? So, and that's probably where we get into more of the uh, philosophical (laughs) debates, if you will. But some, you know, a lot, probably the most common comment question that I get is I I don't want to have to pay a lot towards my student loans, but I want them to be gone as fast as possible. And unfortunately, those are kind of uh, mutually exclusive ideas, right? But you can understand why somebody would say that. Thankfully, there are options that can keep your monthly payment reasonable, calculated as a percentage of your income. Um, And that's really useful for people that have higher student debt to income ratios. Uh, But it also requires you to be comfortable with potentially student loan forgiveness, because that's how these plans tend to end, right? So you make payments based on your income for a a specific amount of time. And if you hit the maximum number of years that you're allowed to use them, the remaining balance is forgiven, right? And you may or may not have to pay tax on that, depending on when it happens and what the rules are that are in place at that time. So it it has a lot of uncertainty associated with it, but it also provides a phenomenal amount of financial relief in order to to use those. Now, there are people that just either don't want to use those or aren't comfortable with that or might be in a financial position where they can pay their loans back faster. That doesn't require an income-driven plan or a forgiveness option. But, you know, depending on what your debt-to-income ratio is, that can involve some significant financial sacrifice. And for some people, it's not even it's not even feasible, right? So you graduate with 300, 400 500, I'd see people with $600,000 of student debt, right? You're not going to be able to pay yourself quickly out of that, right? You're going to have to take a more measured approach in order to even try to get yourself out from underneath there while also maintaining some semblance of a financial wellness strategy alongside of that. I'm curious, you started talking about psychology and I I think I used the term money mindset. Have you seen changes in that mindset over the past decade or so? I'm kind of curious. Um, you know, I don't know if it's changed all that much. What I what I do notice is that the earlier you are in the veterinary program, so first years, second years, they're already rip-roaring to pay off their student debt as fast as possible. Even though they don't even know what the number is when they graduate, they're going to pay it off as fast as possible. At some point between third and fourth year, reality sets in, 
right? And especially if they're kind of one of the, I'm going to do an internship or I'm not sure what I'm going to do, they're, then they shift. They're like, oh, maybe I should learn more about some of these other ways to pay back my student loans, right? So it really kind of is a progression of before you're faced with repayment, you tend to want to be really aggressive with your student loans. And then when you get to graduation and you know what that number is, what you're going to be earning, things might change. The other time I see that shift in mindset is when a major life event happens, right? So either you take a different job or you career change, or maybe you get married, have a kid, you know, go through a divorce, you know, all of those types of life events that tend to really focus us on, okay, I need to know better how to navigate this so I can reduce the risk to myself and my family in many cases financially. That's when people start to become a little more pragmatic when it comes to their financial strategies and even their student loan repayment strategies. I can relate. I <laughs> I remember I was starting to kind of get more curious and and grow an understanding around money and finances. And then I got married and I, I feel like it hit me all at once. I was sitting on my back porch and I was thinking about you know, really there's one really strong financial person in our, in our family. And if anything happens to them, I, I started thinking and I'm like, I think that comes to me. I guess <laughs> I better get my act together. Uh, and, and that's it. You know, you, you realize that there are people depending on you. And I think that's a little extra motivation to, okay, I guess I better start caring. And I, I guess I better start looking at this and not just hiring somebody to say, yeah, you take care of it. I'll just make the money and send it to you. It doesn't work that way. Yeah. So yeah, I can, I can relate. So if anybody uh, I, else is feeling it. <laughs> I, I will say that the, the, the people that tend to be, and this is more anecdotal than anything, but the people that tend to ask the most questions or, or seem to be the most concerned with this are folks who are either married or engaged, mm. right? Because there's another person that depends upon, I mean, your household is intertwined, right? And your student debt now impacts that other person, whether you want it to or not, right? They tend to be more open to or or inquisitive about, hey, what are my options for doing this, right? Because I want everybody here to be happy, not just not just myself, right? So that usually is is how that that plays out. Now, if I could figure out a way, I mean, that's only about maybe a quarter of our colleagues, particularly student and new grads, you know, that are either already married or engaged. So, you know, to the extent we can figure out how to get those folks to talk to the non-married folks about their finances, the, the earlier you kind of have that moment that you were describing, the better off you're going to be, right? Because yes. it takes time. It takes a long time to not only learn this stuff, but to actually develop the habits around, you know, having a strategy that either works or that you're comfortable with. Yes, absolutely. And that's why I also want to learn more about the, you know, the changes that are coming with the the loans, because I mean, I got invited to come speak to a pre-veterinary group. So you know, what my career path was or or how I transitioned into internship, that could be very different for, you know, if I'm trying to help the future generation of veterinarians. Yeah. And so I think it is really important, you know, just going back to, I think this really is a, an industry 
you know, opportunity for us to come together and help everybody who's in the industry because what impacts one veterinarian in a way can ripple to infect all of us. And so one thing that I love about the veterinary industry is that I do feel like we care about each other and we want to support. Um, and that's why I have this podcast. So I I thank you for what you're you're doing and supporting all veterinarians, whether they're married or before. I, <laughs> I want to learn so I can try to encourage to have those conversations younger and younger before. Again, not to discourage anybody from getting into veterinary medicine. We need people, but just to be educated, know your options, to have those people to support you that will help you kind of lay out things so you can be thinking about this early and earlier. I agree. I wish I had thought about it 10 years earlier than (laughs) when I did. I, I think this is very important. And, you know, again, I I didn't even realize how timely it is with that impact of it, of that interest coming back on, you know, it's a new wave of, okay, we need to be ready to support each other as it might get a a little tighter (laughs) with finances. What other things should we, we share with the profession when it comes to this topic? Yeah, I would say, you know, look for help. I mean, in that situation you just described is is one of the reasons why we created that Apply Smarter initiative for Vin Foundation. And VinFoundation.org has a lot of resources for helping in this exact capacity. A lot of veterinarians get asked to speak to pre-veterinary groups or even younger folks and just tell them about veterinary medicine. And inevitably, some of these kinds of questions come up. And, you know, the Applied Smarter Initiative is just a way to, you know, resources to help you think about, well, what if somebody does ask me about, you know, the schools that I apply to or how best can I approach veterinary medicine if I don't want to, you know, end up in a significant amount of student debt, right? So that's all about what that Apply Smarter initiative is. When we get into veterinary school, we have another resource called Borrow Better. So we describe to veterinary students, this is how you can think about borrowing, right? And how the benefits that you have available to you, the rules that kind of govern borrowing and and how much you're allowed to borrow and the different types of student loans and the way that you can set yourself up for success after school you know, you can take those steps while you're actively borrowing in school. And then once you get out, we have an initiative called Repay Wiser, where we discuss all of the different ways that you can tackle your student loans, in addition to providing those resources to actually get the questions answered that that everybody has, right? What's the best repayment strategy for my situation, right? And then we can help you work through those answers at that time, right? So, BinFoundation.org has got a ton of this information, all the things that we've been kind of learning over the last 10 years, helping our colleagues from before veterinary school, during and after is all kind of put together in a in a, a best practices, if you will, to help them navigate all of those challenging questions that come up around student loans. Well, that's fantastic. And I, I hope I didn't completely get away from your personal career journey, because <laughs> I think that's really exciting what you have put together with Ven. Do you mind sharing a little bit about like what your daily looks like or or a little bit about your work with, with the Venn Foundation or organization? Yeah, sure. So a lot of it is education, but it's really helping our colleagues come up with loan repayment strategies. So on Venn and through Venn Foundation, whether you're a Venn member or not, we actually provide personalized assistance to our colleagues to help them answer their student loan repayment questions and, and develop strategies. And a lot of our time is spent with 
working through those specifics, right? So we have them fill out what I call a student debt and income signalment form that collects their student debt information, their income information, their family information, because all of that is significantly important in terms of developing or at least laying out what all of the different repayment treatment options, if you will, are for that particular person in their given career step at that point, right? So things change. I mean, right out of school, we have a certain set of recommendations versus what happens if you switch jobs or maybe you're transitioning to a residency or after your residency, so working for a nonprofit. So all of those things involve different repayment strategies. And it, and it kind of changes over time for that specific individual, depending on where they are in that timeline. Uh, and then we have the changes that come down from the Department of Education and trying to keep up on those to make sure that maybe what we told you five years ago still holds true, given the different changes that have happened, particularly recently with the pandemic and, and some of the shifts and in repayment options that are out there now. So we provide that assistance through VIN and VIN Foundation. Most of it is offered through the message board. So uh, VIN is colleagues helping colleagues. It's kind of the secret sauce of VIN. So if you've ever been on it, you know that there's colleagues talking about any number of things in veterinary medicine, most of it clinically related, but we borrowed from that recipe and we applied it to student loan repayment so we can get our colleagues the answers that they need, but also have our profession learn from those exchanges as well, right? So we're not just helping that one, we're helping more people understand those uh, issues around borrowing and repayment that come up as well. So that's where all of that information comes from that we then put together as webinars and all of the content that's on the VIN Foundation website that's related to student loans and repayment. And, and we try to just stay on top of that every day <laughs> with all the different questions that come up and changes and um, helping people get prepared for you know the return of interest and payments that are going to start as well this October. Yeah. Is there kind of like a, a big overarching tip or piece of guidance with the the interest coming back on here in September 1st that you would provide to people? Ooh, well, I mean, take your head out of the sand, right? So <laughs> we've had some, we've had some uh, you know, reason to not have to worry about it for a long time, but make sure that you're looking, right? So more things are, are missed by uh, not looking than not knowing, right? So just look at your student loans. We've got tools on the VIN Foundation Student Debt Center to help you do what I call as a physical exam on your student loans. And if they need help walking through what they're seeing there, that's, that's what we do over on the message board. So, you know, just looking at your student loans, seeing what they're made up of. You'll see different interest rates, different names, different names of repayment plans, but looking at them and then processing it and saying, oh, well, what does that mean? It kind of, just like any complicated case, you just start looking up that next piece of information and seeing where it leads you. And eventually you have enough information to come up with a, a treatment strategy, right? And, and we're here to guide you along the way. I love your use of medical terminology. <laughs> you really know your audience. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, I figured it helped. I mean, none of our colleagues are really wired financially, right? But they're wired to treat patients clinically, right? So in, help, in working through your student loans is not nearly as complicated as the clinical cases that we see on a daily basis, right? So, but, you know, getting ourselves out of our own way enough to realize that, hey, our student loans are just a complicated medical case tends to, you know, help or it has helped over the last few years. So, <laughs> matter of perspective. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
Love it. Well, I I like to end with a a final kind of rapid question. And the first one is, do you have a a hidden skill or interest? Oh, it's not very hidden. I talk about it all the time, but I am a uh, a fly fishing junkie. So um, it's probably the only other thing that I know better than um, student debt is how to fly fish. (laughs) If I could... If I could roll or wave a magic wand, I would I would figure out a way to do that full time professionally. But I don't I don't know exactly how to do that yet. So mm, I'll just think a little bit longer on that one. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Is there anything on your bucket list that you would like to do? Well, most of them involve fly fishing. So uh, <laughs> yeah. So I but I we did recently. My wife and I had our our first daughter. So I'm looking forward to you know teaching her how to raft and fly fish and, you know, explore all the places that I find beautiful about Colorado and the Mountain West. And hopefully those are going to be things that she enjoys as well. But uh, some of those uh, bucket list items that may not involve showing her those things is I'm looking forward to someday fly fishing in either Mongolia or um, or New Zealand. So those are kind of two. Is there like a particular fish or something you you want to catch in Mongolia? Yes, there is. There's a it's called a, a taimen. It's a salmonid that's only found in a particular river system in Mongolia. So, and I think there might be a similar one in Japan or or something like that. But I know that in Mongolia, that it's like a very unique fish that you can only catch in in that area of the world. And I'm that one is on my list. Finally, what is something you are most grateful for? Oh, most grateful for? Um, I think probably, honestly, well, I would say my wife for, you know, just the patience that she has for um, what I do and in and, and my career, but also, you know, Vin and allowing, because this is not, you know, the the student debt thing is complicated and there's not, there has not been a lot of other avenues I've seen that have taken it as seriously as Vin and Vin Foundation has. And and because it's such, you know, it's not clinically related, right? So it'd be really easy to kind of not incorporate that into something like Vin, but it's also the perfect place for it, right? Because as you said, most people people know about it and it has an extremely large reach. So it, it allows us to get that word out to the most of our colleagues possible and help as many people possible, right? So nobody should feel like they have to suffer in silence when it comes to dealing with your student debt, right? This is something that a lot of us are carrying and a lot of us have experience with, uh, but it is still one of those things that's really personal. So it feels like, you know, again, it's kind of embarrassing, right? To have to ask for help on that. But I feel like having access to VIN and being able to do this the way we do it through VIN and VIN Foundation kind of takes that part out of it and makes it more of a community experience that we can we can learn from each other on and lean on each other on to figure it out. I'm so grateful that Tony was willing to come and share these updates with us. Don't forget that resources are in the show notes below. Also, please make sure you have clicked that follow on your podcast app so you can catch every episode. I look forward to sharing a veterinary technician journey next week. Thank you for being part of Vet Life Reimagined. Take care, Vet Lifers.